If I've not met you, my name is Dan Knust. I'm the high school youth pastor here at the church. Um, I am a hip, cool youth pastor, is the, is the rumors out there? No? No help at all. You guys are no help. I'm telling you. I know what Pastor Dan feels like now. Um, anyway, Pastor Dan Morgan, he asked if I would cover the Sunday morning service, which I obviously said yes. I am a hip, cool youth pastor, but there's a little bit of a difference there. Don't let the gray hair fool you. Okay? Because last night, when I was getting ready for the sermon, I had some help in my sermon prep by two little ones that were about that tall. My grandkids were sitting on my lap while I was getting ready for this morning's message, so who knows what we'll get. <laughs> but I know one thing's for sure. We did show up to hear from God, amen? Not from me, not from Pastor Dan, not from Tanner, but from God, yes? And I do pray, Lord, well, I often share this with the high school kids on a Sunday morning, or on a Wednesday night, excuse me, um, that... All this stuff for just a while. I love that last song. Just let it fall away. If it doesn't have anything to do with God, let's let it go for just about a half hour, can we? And just let everything else sort of drift away and do what the scripture says. I pray that you guys have ears to hear this morning. Well, God's laid on my heart, and I'll do my best to bring forth the message out of the scripture that he's given me this morning. But we're here to hear from him. And I pray in the quiet of the sanctuary that that's exactly what we do this morning, right? Amen? Okay. So I was sitting at my desk, we just, Tanner mentioned that last Sunday was Easter. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Monday morning, Pastor Dan asked if I'd carry the message today, and I was sitting in my office, and I'm like, okay, Lord, now what? The pinnacle of Christianity, if you will, was last Sunday, right? The resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We know he's ascended, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, right now praying and interceding for us, which I need on a morning like this. But I got to thinking, okay, now what? What do you do with that? And here's what he laid on my heart to begin with in my office on Monday morning. It's your turn. It's our turn to do what Christ did for us. And that's kind of what I want to bring forth this morning. I'm going to start in a little bit of an unusual way, unusual way this morning because I really believe when we look back at Easter, at, um, we went through Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, all these things that went on during that week. Pastor Dan did, as always, a marvelous job of giving forth the idea of what was going on within Rome, within the disciples' minds, and within what was going on actually spiritually with our Lord. And what happened was the disciples were confused, weren't they? They misunderstood. See, they believed in Christ, but they misunderstood what was going on around them. And I want to, I want to, this has a little bit to do with what I'm talking about this morning, but what I really want us to do this morning is not misunderstand. When I'm done this morning, I pray in, in the Lord's in Jesus' name that when I'm done this morning, there is, we will not misunderstand as Christians what the Lord has called us to do next because it's your turn, he says. And I really believe that was something that he laid on my heart and then he brought forth the scripture of, okay, if it's my turn, what do I do? And I really believe this morning that he's going to help us really look back at Scripture to see what to do. And to go at this this morning, I want to look at the book of Mark. So if you've if you got your Bibles with you, you've got your phones or iPads or whatever you're doing, turn to Mark chapter 8 this morning, okay? Because what I want to look at is a story that we're all familiar with. It's found in every one of the Gospels to some point. Matthew, Mark, and Luke really bring it forth. But what I want to do this morning, I'll give you a little bit of background on the, on the book of Mark. Somewhere between A.D. 55 and 65, the book of Mark was written. Here's the theme and what, what, what Mark was writing to the people that he was writing to. Jesus' service, his sacrifice, and it provided a pattern for the way followers should live their lives. 
And I really believe that's what we're going to look at this morning is this pattern and this process of what it looks like and how we're going to live our lives. So if you turn, I'm going to read the scripture first, then I'm going to go back and give us a little bit of context of what we're looking at here this morning. So Mark chapter 8, we're going to read verses 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his Father's glory with the holy angels. What I want to do is, why did he do this? I want, what prompted Christ to do this, to have this conversation and make this statement to them? Because it says he called them near. He called the crowd and his disciples near. So I want to back up a few verses, and I'm not going to read them this morning. I'm just going to give you the context of verses 27 through 33 here. You guys all know the story. If you've been a Christian for more than a week, you know who Peter is, right? And you know that Jesus had taken to Caesarea Philippi, he had taken his disciples, and he gathered them together. And you guys all know this story. He says, who does everyone say I am? Elijah, John the Baptist, all the disciples were answering this question. But then he turned it around on them, and he says, who do you say I am? Imagine if you were just, put yourself in scripture for just a second this morning. You're sitting around a campfire, and the Lord goes, who do you say I am? And Peter, we all know, Peter said the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus tells him, Peter, that is not of you. Our Father in heaven gave that to you. That's a revelation for you, Peter. That's not of your own doing, right? That's not human, that's spiritual that was given to him. And then we all know that Jesus goes into telling his his disciples, really, especially in the book of Mark, you see, this is the very first time that Jesus gave any real clarity to that he would go to Jerusalem, be crucified, die, be buried, and be raised from the dead. So think, be a disciple for just a second. You're sitting around the fire, you have this conversation, and then all of a sudden, and remember, you think that Jesus is going to be your political Messiah. You think he's going to conquer Rome. You're totally confused on what's going on within what Jesus is up to here, right? So put yourself in that spot for just a second and be a disciple. Okay, Peter says you are the Messiah. They all agreed with it. But then Peter, after Jesus says, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised three days later. Peter's like, no, you're not. Remember, though, keep it in context. Because, see, we, we know the stories so well, we don't insert ourselves into them sometimes, I don't think. Put yourself where Peter's at, and you go, no, you're not. The only thing Peter didn't say, if I can paraphrase just a little bit, we're going to conquer Rome. How are you going to die? If you die, how's that going to happen? And Peter says, no, you're not. I'll even go to death with you. Everybody knows the story, right? So Peter actually rebukes Jesus. Pastor Dan does such a masterful job of going, you can almost see him taking, shaking his shoulders going, no, this is not going to happen. Peter says, you're not doing this. Then Jesus turns right around. We know everybody, everybody knows it. He puts Peter in his place, right? He says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. That word Satan is used here as adversary. Because Jesus says this, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter had human concerns in mind when he was talking about that. So when you look at that, I want you guys to keep that in mind. I'm going to go back this morning, and I'm going to read the scripture again. 
Because I want you to really catch this with the context of what's going on here. And when Jesus says, you do not have the things of God in mind, but human things in mind. I think a better way to put that was, Peter had selfish things in mind. He wanted to conquer Rome. He wanted to be part of Jesus' inner circle. And so did all the other disciples. But then you see Jesus having spiritual things in mind, saying, no, we're not doing that. Hopefully that kind of helps set this context up again, because I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the scripture one more time and listen from that perspective when it says, then Jesus called the crowd near him and his disciples as well. So the disciples are off by themselves, you get the sense of what Mark's saying here, but then Jesus brings them in and then all these followers that are following Jesus, as he makes it very clear for the wrong reasons. For the, for the loaves and the fishes, for the miracles. That's why they're following him. They're following him because of what he did, not, what he, not who he was. And I shared this a little bit with the high school kids last a week or so ago when I got to do an Easter message, that the crowds were following because of what he did, not who he was. This morning, I want us to learn to follow him because of who he is, not what he does or doesn't do. So you see Mark say, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, it's almost like a football coach going, hey, Everybody in here, I got something to say. All you guys, even the, even the inner circle, my starting squad right here, they're always in the front, right? And the second string's always kind of around the outside of the huddle. He's the coach is saying, hey, everybody over here, come here, come here, come here, I got something to say. But why did he say it? Because what he's telling them here is he knows they had a selfish perspective on what they were doing. Even the disciples, they loved Jesus and they followed him. They believed he was the Messiah, but it was from a selfish perspective perspective what he was doing here so the coach calls them all and he says hey come here and listen and what I find really interesting is he even called the crowd but the crowd didn't know about the conversation they just had around the campfire see how the dynamic of the scripture when you go and you break it down and you read it over and over and over again I saw all these things in my mind and I'm just like so he's got the disciples around the campfire brings them in calls the crowd in. hey come on I got something to say come here so the crowd's standing around hearing this too. They're waiting for loaves and fishes and miracles. And all of a sudden Jesus says this. Whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Remember what the disciples, remember what Peter says? No, you won't. We're doing this. And Jesus told him, no, you have selfish things in mind, not spiritual things in mind. And if you're going to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, you will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world in the Roman culture, remember what he's talking about, yet forfeit your soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their souls? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his Father's glory with his holy angels. You see, I don't know if that, when I read this, it just helped me go, oh, I get it. This is why he called the crowd together. Because they were looking at things wrong. They misunderstood what Jesus was up to, and that's one thing I don't want to see any of us do this morning. When I get done talking about what I'm talking about, I want there to be absolutely no doubt. It's going to be up to us what we do with it, but I pray there's no doubt what Jesus says to be a follower of his, because here's what I know. Jesus, you get the sense here that Jesus is not interested in a casual Christian following him. I don't know where you're at with Christ today. But he is not interested in you being a casual Christian. And I really genuinely believe after walking with the Lord for 20 years, you won't last very long if you are. If you're walking with the Lord and you're doing it casually, 
We have a supernatural foe, an enemy that wants to destroy your relationship with God. Whatever it is, maybe a brand new one, maybe a solid one, but his goal is to get you to steal, kill, and destroy your relationship with God. Jesus is not interested in casual Christians. He wants followers that are all in. But I want to make it really clear this morning too as well. We're not saved from our sin by picking up, by denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following him. That does not give us salvation. We are saved by grace and grace alone. Once we're converted and we become Christians, or I'm going to use this term again if God will help me remember, born again, as Jesus says in chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus, we have to be born again. We don't do that by doing what I'm teaching this morning. So when I'm a Christian, I'm converted and I'm born again, it is not long after that that I should become a disciple of Christ. Does that make sense to you guys? Because I want to make sure very clear that we are saved by grace and grace alone. But there are works to do and to be a disciple of Jesus, his words. And I want to make sure that I, I don't... For me, when I studied this this last week and I've read this several times before, it's really sobering because he doesn't leave any wiggle room here on what it looks like to be all in for him. So it's not, by, it's not to earn grace from God that we do what we're doing that we're going to talk about this morning. It's because of God's grace. It's not to earn it. It's because of it that we should live this way. So Jesus gives us three requirements. He lays down three requirements to be a true disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And I'm not going to do what we're taught in seminary. I'm not going to alliterate this. I'm just going to use the Lord's words in each one of my points. So the very first point we're going to look at is we're going to look at deny yourself. I want you guys to see this. When I'm talking about this this morning, too, I want you to see this This progress here that you see within what I'm talking about today. There, I believe there is a progress, especially in the first one. We start one place and we end another. And I hope, hopefully at the end of this point, you'll be able to understand what I'm getting at. But I want to look at why. He says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That's pretty clear. Whoever, some, some translations will say, if, if you want to be my disciple. Do, here's a question I've got for you this morning. Honestly, no matter where you're at, do you want to be his disciple? Because he says, if or whoever wants to be my disciple. And there's another word in a sentence, and I'm not an English. You guys, if you've heard me preach before, you know I'm not an English major, right? But I like words, and I go back and I look at them, and there's, so there's two words in there, if and must. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. I went back in the Greek tense, and what that is in the Greek tense is it is a, it's an imperative, a command. But it's a requirement. That's why I use that word. Jesus lays down three requirements because that word must is you must do this. But why do we fight so much with denying ourselves? What's the, what's the, what's the root behind that? We all know what it is. It's our sinful nature. Do you ever notice, I, like say I got my grandkids in town and my daughter's in town and her husband and I love my daughter dearly and I love all my kids dearly, but did you ever notice our kids never pick up our good traits? <laughs> right? They pick up everything we don't want them to get, right? Adam had to be the same way. Oh, great. Perfect. Every one of my kids has got a sinful nature, thanks to me. The, 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 I think the most purest form of a sinful nature in my mind manifests itself differently. But it manifests itself in selfishness. Selfishness is the root of what we're looking at here this morning. This basically says this. I don't want God to run my life. I'm going to do it. I'm the only one I can trust. Oh, I love Jesus, but I don't want him to run my life because I really don't trust him that much if I was to really get right down to it. 
because things haven't really went my way sometimes when I've, t- when I've called on the Lord and trusted in him. So I'm going to revert back, but that's really what we're talking about this morning is I do not want God to run my life. That's selfishness. That's what we need to deny when we're talking about this. I, I, I would put it this way. Here's a question I would lay at your feet this morning. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your heart's at. I don't know what your behavior's like when nobody's looking. But the question I would ask you is, do you love your sin more than you love your Savior? Do you love your selfishness more than you love your Savior? I hope that kind of lands and gives us somewhere because when you live like this, in verse 35, that's why Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you're going to live this way, you're going to lose your life because Jesus is saying, you're not going to make it. It's not me saying this this morning. I get the sense here that Jesus says, if you don't do this, you're not going to make it. Narrow is the path. And wide is the road that leads to destruction. So these things we've got to make sure that we're paying attention to, but that's really what it is. To deny yourself is not like Lent. Leading into Easter, I I never practiced Lent as a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I didn't grow up in church, so I I don't have those traditions. Nothing wrong with them, but it's not like I'm giving up chocolate for 40 days. This isn't what he's talking about. I'm not going to deny myself chocolate for 40 days and be a disciple. No, it's deeper down and farther back than that. It is this, to replace your desires with God's desires. It is to give up all of your personal rights to the king. Not mine, but yours. To give up all your personal rights. There's another word I want to use this morning that really struck me as I was doing my studies. Deny basically is defined as repudiate. To repudiate means this, to cast off or to disown my own desire and life. To to repudiate is to cast off and disown my own desire and life. That's to deny what Jesus is talking about. That's denying in this sense. That's what he's talking about doing. I go back and you think about, when I think about denial, we think about denying Christ. Who, Who comes to mind? Help me out. Peter, thank you. Peter, right? Did you get the fervor and the veracity that Peter denied Jesus with when he was around that barrel with the fire in it? And that little girl and all those people come up and he says, I swear, I don't know him. That's the intensity that we need to decide not to, not to fulfill our own desires. I'm not doing that. Are you there yet? I am no no, by the grace of God, I'm not deceived by the grace of God. Quit trying so hard and start surrendering more. You'll find your Christian walk will not be a roller coaster ride any longer if you live that way. And I want to stop for a second, and I hope this isn't too hard this morning, but it struck me when I read this. If we live this way, if we repudiate our own desires in our own life, then it says in verse 35b, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospels will save it. But I want to pause here for a second because we had a funeral service here at the church yesterday and I'm not going to look at the family because they're sitting in the front row here. Yesterday we had a funeral service for Carolyn Gross. And the thing that struck me in that funeral service because he says, for my sake and for the gospel. And we we did the, the open mic yesterday and while everyone was talking about Carolyn, you know what they talked about? How much she told everybody about Jesus. How much she loved other people because of it. And she was always there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone at any time. Stop and pray with you in the store. Stop and walk alongside you, give you a hug, tell you God loves you. And it struck me when I read this again this morning, for the, and for the gospel, for my sake and for the gospel. 
And I would, I would encourage you, there was, a, there was a young lady in heaven today named Carolyn who was walking with Jesus, who was here two weeks ago on a Sunday morning, and now she's not. But I can only imagine what it had to be like when she got there to hear the words, I'm so proud of you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Live your life in such a manner that it echoes into eternity. And that echoes into eternity for me. And I hope you guys really understand what I'm talking about because there's a, there's a paradox here. Because Jesus says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, you'll save it. Anybody else? <laughs> Sometimes that's why I gotta go back and read scripture a bunch of times because I'm just not that bright. But that paradox is there because Jesus knows that we've got to lose our lives to his, for his sake. Asceticism is something else that a lot of people will misunderstand denying. A self-denial is what that is. Asceticism is basically this. I'm going to do self-hatred and self-harm to myself so I elevate myself spiritually in life. You ever run into people like that? I'm going to be self-righteous and I'm going to do things. I'm going to do self-denial because I'm going to become a better Christian because of it. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Again, this is not about you doing more. It's not about you gaining more. It's about you surrendering more. When we deny ourselves and we submit and surrender to Christ, then we will be able to obey his will. We just came out of Easter again, right? And it's your turn. It's your turn to drink from that cup. But I want you to notice something. When Jesus was in the garden, if we really submit and surrender our lives to him, we can live for his will by his grace, you guys. Because it struck me when I shared a message with the high school kids that I think, it's in, I think it's in Luke. Don't hold me to this. But God the Father sends an angel to Jesus when he's in the garden praying, if this cup can pass before me, let it be so. But if not my will, not my will, but your will be done. God actually provides an angel for him to endure what he's about ready to go through. You realize God will do the same thing for us. His grace will always be measured out to exactly what we need, when we need it, so that we can live for his will, you guys. But we've got to get to where we're denying ourselves. Because that word, that word will in there where Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done, that word will is really desire. Can you see Jesus sweating drops of blood in the garden because of the anguish and the anxiety of going through the crucifixion, but also being separated for his, from his father for a time for us so that we wouldn't have to? That lands deep on me, you guys. That he drank the cup of wrath that was meant for mankind and that he was going to go to the cross knowing that God the Father for the very first time in eternity would turn from him, be totally and completely separated from God so I don't have to if I choose him. That strikes me, but that word desire, just see Jesus praying, Lord, this is not my desire to do this. I don't think there's anything wrong with praying that way, you guys. Lord, I don't want to do this. This is hard. But not my desire, but yours. And it says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Watch this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart because if we delight in him, my desire is him. And he'll give me that desire to live out for his glory, you guys. And this is a one-time thing. Again, in the Greek, this isn't to deny yourself it's a one choice. It's a one-time one moment. I'm going to choose to deny myself. That's it. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it. It doesn't mean you're going to get it right every time, but that's the choice I make according to the Greek. It is a command, and it is a one-time decision that's lived out daily. But how do we do this? 
I got to get through this because my first point's going too long this morning. But this is so important. How do we do this? We can't crucify ourselves, right? I don't know about you guys, but I can't do that. Paul puts it this way. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. There's another paradox. Living sacrifice. What's a sacrifice do normally? It dies. See, I think if we, if we go about denying ourselves, we're going to get to the point as our pastor is constantly teaching us, we're going to bump up against something that we can't get past, that we can't deny. Because it's something I really, really want, or it's a sin I cannot conquer. So I'm going to come up against something, and denying myself, I'm going to get to the point where I've got to die to myself. So I believe denying leads to dying. That's the process in which we see here. I begin by denying, but I learn that I can't do this because I'm too much of the conversation and I want to live for me. I want to live for God, this paradox that I'm in. So I got to die to me. I got to die to self. Paul puts it like he said, therefore offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And that's, that's a one-time thing. I put myself on the altar and when things get hot, I don't squirm off. And when I squirm off, I'm going to make the choice, get back on again by his grace. I'm not talking about perfection in behavior this morning. I'm, perf- I'm talking about perfection in my desires to do these things. Paul says in this Galatians 2, 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I, I love this, this scripture because I, I so desire to live this out. Listen to this, you guys. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a great way to live. If you want to, for me, it's a life verse that I want to live this way because I've been crucified. And understand, to echo our pastor for a minute, because he's taught me this stuff, just like he has you, it's nothing I attain. To attain, I reach out and I take it. I obtain this. I obtain this by laying myself down as a living sacrifice and allowing God to do that work in my heart. To crucify me, I offer myself up. God does the work by me offering myself up, but I got to get to the point where I offer myself up. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, I have now consecrated, concentrated all my prayers into one, that, this, that one prayer is this, <clears throat> that I may die to self and live holy to him. That I might die to self and live holy to him. Diedrich Baumhofer in the book, The Cost of Discipleship, if you've never read that, that's a great book. Diedrich Baumhofer puts it this way, When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. We're born again to die to ourselves that we may be raised to life and live for eternity with Christ. So here it is. It's your turn. It's your turn. That's what God told me to tell you guys, is it's your turn. Second point is this. Take up your cross. And, there's another word, and, take up your cross, and, and, he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. That's another command, that's an heiress. Luke puts it this way, daily, take up your cross daily and follow me, he says. Taking up my cross does not mean um, burdens or sicknesses or anything like that. You'll hear a lot of people say, it's my cross to bear. Asthma is my cross to bear. I got rheumatoid arthritis, that's my cross to bear. That's not what this means, you guys. I'm not picking on people that say that. Hear me right. That's totally up to them if they make that statement. But in context, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about this burden that I've got to carry. No, he's talking about giving this up, picking up your crosses to identify with his rejection, shame, suffering, and death. That's picking up my cross. I'm a youth pastor, so I use a lot of examples when I preach. To me, I see myself... That cross is laying there on the ground. 
and I got a choice to make. I got a choice to make if I'm going to bend down and pick that up. I've been denying myself, but now it's time for me to pick that up. See the progression? I've been denying myself, and now it's time for me to die to myself. But to do that, I've got to kneel down and pick that cross up. It's your turn. You're going to do it? To kneel down, I kneel down like this, and I pick that up. And it's a, it's a sign of submission or surrender to what that represents. It represents shame and suffering and rejection in a world that hates Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that, to the world that hates him. So if I'm going to pick up my cross, I've got to submit and surrender myself, understanding that I've, I've been denying, but it's not working anymore, and I need to do a next step in this progression. I need to kneel down, and I need to submit and surrender and take up that cross, because to us, that cross represents love and sacrifice, doesn't it? That's why we wear them all the time. Just as a side note, you ever notice that cross is empty? The cup that Jesus drank is empty, and the cross is also empty, because it ain't there anymore. Again, we deny ourselves, we die, we're born again to die, to be resurrected from the dead. The, think, now put yourself back in this again now, okay? Go back to the crowd and the disciples and Jesus, the coach calling everybody together and making this statement. Okay, everybody, here's the deal. You've got to deny yourself. And here's the next thing. You guys ready, team? You're ready, team? Pick up your cross. That had to be staggering to these people, you guys. Let me put yourself back in that time. The cross represented death. Rejection, shame, suffering. It was horrible. And he's telling me I gotta pick up my cross. Now think about this. The disciples might be going, oh, wait a minute, he said he was gonna die, crucified, die, be raised from the dead three days later. The crowd's going, What? Do what? Pick up my cross. The Romans, as you guys all know this, it was a form of capital punishment, and they were really good at it. <clears throat> but all these disciples had to be thinking, and all these followers had to be thinking, wait a second. Because this had to be something really, really unusual. And when you look at that, when that idea, you look in the Greek again, and you look at that idea of picking up, to take up, it's not just to pick it up and kind of carry it under my arm where nobody else can see it. The, the tense in that, the, the definition of take up is take it up and lift it high. I'm a Christian, and I love Christ, and he loves you, and he's died for my sin, and I've been forgiven of my sin, and I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says. So when you think about this idea, I kneel down and I pick up that cross, it's to pick it up and go, yes, victory. Because see, that cross represents victory. That's why it's empty. We walk around as Christians not fighting for victory, but from victory. We cannot be ashamed of him. Because I really believe if we're ashamed of Christ, that we're, we're not going to pick up our cross, you guys. I, okay, I love Jesus. I'm kind of like Nicodemus. I want to come see him at night at first, right? Oh, I love him and I believe in him, but I don't want to get a lot of attention for this deal because if I get a lot of attention, I'm gonna, it's not going to go well for me. <laughs> to be ashamed of him now, Jesus makes it very clear that he will be ashamed of you when he comes again. And then we'll be, we will be ashamed before him. Can't even imagine. Verse 38 says this. Says this, this is why I picked Mark. Out of everything, out of the three Gospels, this is why I picked Mark. In verse 38 it says, if anyone is ashamed of me, and my words, if anyone is ashamed of me in my words, in today's world, do you realize this book is becoming to be looked at by the world as hate speech? That when I go tell people that here's my stance and it's not me that says this, but God says this in his word, 
Jesus said, if you're ashamed of my, me and my words, it says here, in this adulterous and sinful generation, that's why I picked this. Does today's world seem like an adult, adulterous and sinful generation to you guys, or is it just me? We can't be ashamed of him. Man, now more than ever, we need to stand up for the things of Christ. We need to know by his grace, and if we get stuck at the stake, Polycarp, my wife and I were reading about him the other day, they, they didn't even, he wouldn't even let him tie him to the stake. He said, God's grace will hold me to the stake. Polycarp was going to get burned at the stake for his faith. And Polycarp says, don't tie me. Imagine, can you imagine that? Don't tie me to the stake. Because I'm thinking, if the flames are burning around me, I'm making a run for it. Not Polycarp. He says, God's grace will hold me in place. And it, tradition shows he didn't even die by the flames. They had to stab him. Because the, the, the flames would not consume him as he stood there. What a great story when you look back in Scripture. Polycarp was not ashamed of him. And in this adulterous and sinful generation, neither can we, you guys. We cannot be ashamed of our Savior. We cannot be ashamed of his word. we got to go forth and boldly proclaim the gospel. Because when I talked about Carolyn earlier, she wasn't ashamed of him. She went around telling everybody she could about her Savior. And we know because of that and their salvation, we know where she's at today. Have you been living a life in today's culture in this adulterous and sinful generation in a manner where you kind of got your head down a little bit? Oh, it'd be easy to do, you guys. I get it. Trust me. I go into the high schools. I talk to a lot of people. You guys go to the workplaces. I know this is not a good time for a Christian to be bold about their faith, but by God's grace, we need to be because, see, this, is a, this, this sense is judgment because Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me and my words here, I'm going to be ashamed of you before the Father when I come back, which means he is coming back. He told his disciples that in the crowd. I'm coming back when I return. From where? Did you ever think about being them? From where? We know the answer to the story, right? He's coming back in his glory, and I do not want to be in a position where I'm ashamed of him now because it might be hard. 1 John 2.28 says this, And now, dear children, listen, And now, dear children, continue in him. Continue in him so that when he appears, we might be confident and I'm unashamed before his coming. Continue in him, and you will not be ashamed, but we got to continue in him. And again, Lord, you guys, I'm not talking about this in a sense of being perfect. I am talking about, though, if we're willing to die, we will experience abundant life. I don't know if I told you guys this or not, so if I have, please forgive me. I did a deal in the high school room recently where I had the kids all build puzzles, all the high school kids build puzzles. And I won't tell the whole story to you because it's too long, but I took one of the pieces of the puzzle and I hid it from them. So when I got all done with their puzzle... There was one piece missing. And of course, they know me well enough to know that it's a teachable moment because they're, they're like, all right, the piece, where's it at, Dan? That's all I heard. What'd you do with it? Because they knew I took it. But what I told them, and I want to tell you this morning, is you can run through life all you want. You can chase your dreams. You can look for things that will fulfill you, but there will always be one piece of that puzzle missing. And there's only one person that can fill that spot. And it's the Lord you got to remember that life is good. You can go out and live a great life and you can chase things, but you're going to lose your life and you're going to forfeit everything you are and you'll miss eternity because of it because there's one spot that only God can fill. Jesus went first. He picked up his cross. He carried it via Del Rosso, the way of suffering, all through public. People were watching, mocking him, making fun of him as he carried it. It's your turn. 
You going to carry yours publicly? It's your turn. Pick that cross up. Deny yourself. Pick that cross up and lift it high, you guys. It's a great way to live and you will be fulfilled. The last thing is this. Follow me. Jesus says, deny yourself and pick up your cross, take up your cross and follow me. This is the present tense. This is a continuous action. I'm going to follow him forever and ever and ever, but listen to me. I really believe this. This isn't following him the way I want to. This isn't following him by my own desires and the way I think it needs to be done. This is by making a choice to go, if I'm going to be his disciple, I have to do this. Not by my own desires, not by what I want to get done, not on my own terms, but by his. And here's what I really genuinely believe. If we don't do the first two, we can't do the last. If we don't deny him, or deny ourselves, take up our cross, we won't follow him, you guys. If we do, it won't be for long. That, if you've got a Christianity that's in and out, and the ebb and flow is exhausting, and I'm like, I'm in, then I'm out, then I'm in, then I'm out. It's like, I don't know how you live that way. But why you're living that way, I believe, is because you're not denying yourself. You haven't died to yourself. You haven't picked up your cross. And therefore, you can't follow him consistently. We need to follow him wherever he goes, be obedient to him. Jesus wants us to choose not to lead a life of sin and self-satisfaction, but to choose him. I know we can't follow him physically, right? But we can follow him spiritually. The Holy Spirit of God when we're Christians dwells in our heart, right? I think we can follow him spiritually. And I, I, I got this, again, I, I got an incredibly vivid imagination. And as I live life, I keep my eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of my faith. And as I'm following him, he's walking in front of me or beside me. You know what I can see? The holes in his wrists and in his side. Can't see his feet, so to speak. But you know what that reminds me? He went first. So I can follow him. He's trustworthy. He's not asking me to do anything he hasn't already done. And he did, the price he paid is way more than any price we're ever going to pay, you guys. But we've got to do these things. Can't follow him physically, but I do believe when you look at Scripture and you look at Andrew and Peter following him and come and I'll make you fishers of men, they immediately got up and followed him. James and John immediately got up and followed him. I like Matthew because in Matthew, I think it's in Luke, he said, when he comes up to Matthew, the tax collector, he says, Matthew got up and followed him and left everything behind. That's challenging for me. Matthew, who was a tax collector, was settled in his occupation, had what he needed, and it said when, Ma when Jesus came up and said, come follow me, Matthew got up, followed him, and left everything behind. We're watching the, the series The Chosen, as many of you are, and it struck me last night we were watching this. This cost these guys their lives. When Jesus said, come follow me, it wasn't like, hey, let's go walk in the park. These disciples, it cost them their life to follow him. Are you willing to give up yours to follow him? We all know the rich young ruler, right? He came to Jesus and he says, what do I do to inherit eternity? Jesus says, sell everything you've got and follow me. And we all know, don't we? It says he walked away saddened and discouraged because he wouldn't do it. I really believe if you leave this place today and you don't make the decision to follow Jesus this way, you will walk away saddened and discouraged in the depths of your heart because you won't have that joy that everyone's looking for. Is there rewards for the person that does this? 
You better believe there is, because you know what? For me, I get to be less like Dan. And more like him. I get to be less like me. I know me. (laughs) And you know you. And I get to be more like him. That's enough reward right there. We'll live a full life and we'll get to heaven. That's a pretty good reward. Eternity with Jesus in heaven is a pretty good reward. See, Satan promises you glory, but in the end you receive suffering. God promises you suffering. But in the end, it's transformed into glory. How do you want to live your life, you guys? These are the things God's laid on my heart. If I can have Jessica come up, we're going to close with a song here in just a minute. These are the things that God has laid on my heart. And the other thing he, ta- he kind of spoke to me about, and we all know this, in Hebrews 11, he says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? And those great witnesses made this choice that we're talking about this morning. That's why they're there. I want to know if you'll be a great witness for your family and your friends. I want to know that they can be surrounded by a mom and dad that are, that are great witnesses for living a life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So as Jessica closes, I want to, as always, you guys, the, uh, the altar's open if you want to come forward and talk to God about anything. She's going to close with a song that says, I've decided to follow Jesus. It's a very simple song, but it's a beautiful song. And I want you to do this for me this morning, if you would. If you're sitting in here this morning and you're like, Dan, I'm walking that walk and I've already denied myself, died to myself, picked up my cross, and I am following him with all my heart. Praise God for that. That's good that you're doing that. Never forget that that's by his grace that you're doing that. Because it's by his grace to, your, to his glory that we need to live. But if you're in this room today and you've lived this in and out roller coaster ride of Christianity and you're tired of it, I want you to know this morning, I really genuinely believe you guys to to encourage you, to exhort you, that the reason why you're living that way is because you haven't denied yourself to a point of dying to yourself. You may be denying yourself and you may be trying, you guys, and I'm I'm grateful for it, so I don't want to be critical of who's living that way. Please hear me. But I want to encourage you that I really believe it's because you haven't denied yourself to the point of dying to yourself. And you've not knelt down and picked that cross up and lifted it high. That you would not be ashamed of Christ because if you're living that way, I know you're ashamed. Because with sin comes shame. So it's time to stop that. And now you know how to stop it. And you know what to do. And it's not by working harder. It's by surrendering more and allowing God, offering yourselves up to be that living sacrifice and allowing God to do that deeper work in your heart. That's how we do that. So that you might be able to follow him in a consistent manner. And if you're in here this morning and you've not made any decision in regards to Christ, I want you to remember what I talked about at the beginning of this. It is not by denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following him that you're saved. You are saved because he loves you. And he wants to, he's went to the extent that he went to, to redeem you back into a relationship with him. And I pray that you would respond to that this morning. Whether you're watching this on video or whether you're watching this here in in the sanctuary. I don't know where you guys are at, but here's what I want everybody to be able to confess. What Jessica's about to sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. And after the song, I'll have Tanner, if you'd come up and close in prayer for us. But I want you guys to know, I love you, and I hope this morning that no one is confused or misunderstands what Jesus said if we're going to be his disciple. But I pray that you've decided to follow Jesus.